Blog Talk Radio. Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. That's what that is. Yeah, it's on Blog Talk. Just leave it. Sit up here so it drinks. Okay. We'll do. That is. Yeah, she's got to figure it out for me. Well, he had an easy. Yep. Yeah. And that's good. All right. I'm telling you, got a good marking on it. Everything. All right, let's stand together. Let's take our songbook out. Let's turn to 109 tonight. Amen. Sing one about mission. Send the light. There's a call comes ringing for the restless wait. Send the light. Send the light. There are souls to rescue. There are souls to save. Send the light. Send the light. Send the light. Mm-hmm. 
Goodness gracious. Mm. Let's sure lift her up in prayer. Pray for Richard's problems he had. Okay. Yeah, we do need to lift Richard up in prayer. Absolutely. Tuesday morning, 9.30. Get this thing over with. She's seeing double. Yeah. yeah. seeing double doubled up. Well, I ain't seeing two of you being up. I'll tell you, I'd, I'd, I'd get it quick. I'd get it, I'd get it taken care of pretty quick by you, sister. But anyway, all right. Anybody else? I know we've got unspokens. I know we've got situations within the church we need to be praying for. The Lord knows all about. Anybody else? Anything else? All right. Y'all just y'all continue to pray for me. I need prayer. I, I just just day to day things I got going on. Yes, Miss Charlotte. Praise me, my beads have already tonight. And, and Miss Faye. My mayor, Faye Ebbs. Yep, Miss Faye. A tour behind her eyes. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, Miss Faye Ebbs, they were members of ours over at Faith in Paris, her and her husband, Arlie. And she, they, so she said, I never heard of a blood tumor. But they said that's what she has behind her eye. So pray for her. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Anybody else? Anything else before we go to the Lord tonight in prayer? All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Robert, take us to the throne. Amen. You can be seated. Hey. 
and we'll give you all the praise and the glory for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, praise God. Proverbs 22, verse 22 and following. Verse 22, and like you know, like we said last week, when we got past that first verse, in verse 17 and following, it all begins to change. It's not, it's not the couplets, you know, where you have the rich man this and the poor man that, the wise man this and the fool that. Uh, you know, those are just two ideas bouncing off each other or couplets. But these are more verses stacked together presenting an idea. Some of them just two verses, some of them three or four. So, we again, it looks like we got a lot, but really it's not that much because we'll deal with two verses at a time here. All right, so we're going to look at two verses here tonight. And then the first the thought here is to treat the poor fairly. Again, God is a God of fair things. God is a just God. God is a God of, of, of just weights and measures. God is about things being done the right way. And he says here, rob not the poor because he is poor. Neither oppress the afflicted in the gate, for the Lord will, pl- will plead their cause and spoil the soul of those that spoiled them. So rob not the poor because this almost sounds like the one we started off on a couple of weeks ago, but it, and, and I know it was verse seven because that again that was it, it, verse seven speaks to this uh, to this idea. Well, no, I'm, never mind. I'm, wrong, I'm on the wrong verse there, but there is it's, there is a verse we hit. I think it was verse two. That's the one it was about the rich and poor meet together, the Lord's maker of them all. That's what it was. But he says, rob not the poor because he's poor. You know, just because a man's poor, he can't, you know, he he wasn't born into a life of luxury. He ain't got rich relatives. He got nobody taking care of him, you know. But just because he's poor don't mean he deserves to be taken advantage of. You know, the you know the people who are poor, and, and you know, we, in this country, it, it really makes me sick. And I know it makes a lot of you sick. But it makes me sick when they we have a, a border down there that's as open as a screen door. People just crawling through and coming through one after another. And some of them some of them hate America. And a lot of them hate America. They want to come to America so they can destroy America from the inside. And yet we have people who served in our military and fought and lost limbs and things and they're sleeping in, in alleyways and in in gutters and and sleeping over over drains with heat coming I mean, things vents just trying to stay alive and stay warm in, in the big cities of this country and people just walk by them like they're not there and treat them as though they're just trash on the street and and take advantage and treat them with disdain and and you know a lot of them people and I, and I know there are people yes there are people that are there because they make terrible choices and those choices led them down further and further and further. <laughs> but there's some people in there, you know, they just they just had one bad business deal go wrong, and that put them in a bad situation that led to another another decision, which led to another, and through a series of decisions, they find themselves on the street, and they find themselves without a job, and they find themselves not being able to feed themselves, and their clothes wear out, and things go by, and family gets more distant, and, and, and there they are. And for somebody to, to rob somebody who's in that condition, they don't have hardly anything to take something from them. They come by and steal a pair of shoes off their feet, or come by and take the coat off of them, or take the hat off their head, or take what little money somebody's put in the cup. You know, again, that's robbing the poor just because he can't do nothing about it. You know, a man who's in that condition, a woman who's in that condition, deserves more protection and compassion than somebody who's not in that condition. And I know that God looks upon them that way. I know God sees them that way because our Lord has a compassionate heart. And like I said, even if somebody is in that shape because of, of their moral failings, I mean, just because of, they've made some very foolish decisions and had some very foolish behavior, they still do not deserve to be taken advantage of and to be robbed and to be and to be hurt like that. And, uh, you know, it says that, it says, neither oppress the afflicted in the gate. Um you know, again, in the gate, that, that's 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 where all the business transactions took place back in those days. That's kind of like city hall. So that just tells me these these people are these people are down there 
where all the legal stuff's going on. And in the thick of all the legal stuff, people are stealing from it. And that just goes to show how, how, how the wicked view those who are in need. The wicked have no compassion. They have no heart. And uh, and God is saying, you know, that ain't right. That ain't the way to do. That ain't the way to treat people. And it happens right there in front of, of people who, who ought to be able to help but don't. And the Bible says not to do it. Why? Because for the Lord will plead their cause. <clears throat> even even if the rich rob the poor and and, and to, the, to the rich, the, the, the poor just trash in the streets. You know, I remember... Hearing about, well, I mean, you know, you can't help but hear about what all's going on in California and San Francisco, and and people just using the bathroom on the street in front of people on broad daylight, you know, and it was just an absolute horrible, horrible, disastrous situation. And then, and then the Chinese, whatever his name, Xi Jinping or whatever, I don't know what his name is, Xi, uh, I think is his Z I. Uh, the, the the communist guy from China, when he showed up to, to San Francisco, Gavin Newsom, governor, he went in there and they, they just cleaned that sucker up. I mean, cleaned up like a shining like a new penny. I wonder what they did with all them homeless people. I wonder how they treated all them homeless people getting them out of there. Just makes you wonder. I mean, that's that's a pure case of what God's saying don't do. But I guarantee you, they didn't come in there and say, oh, let's take you somewhere nice and warm and get you some warm clothes on and feed you. I guarantee you, we shuffled them off and dumped them off somewhere. They didn't take care of them for all that time. They sure ain't taking care of them now. But, you know, nobody may have been there to plead their case. There may have been nobody to step up and say, hey, don't treat these people this way. But you know what? Maybe nobody here does, but I guarantee you, there's somebody who's going to, and God himself is going to plead their cause. And God himself is going to make sure the people who do the poor wrong and treat them wrong, God's going to make sure their lives get plundered. God's going to make sure they're going to pay. And you say, well, they may not, we may never see them pay on this earth, but that's okay. They may not ever pay on this earth. But I guarantee you, there's a place for them where they're going to pay. There's a place for them who, who despise the poor and, and could care less about what, what God had to say about it, who, who despise God and everything to do with right. There's a place for them, and they and I... I can assure you, hell's going to be hotter for some than it is for others. I can assure you of that. You know, I hear people say a lot, you know, sin is sin, one sin, same as the other. Well, I don't, I just, I just can't hardly think that God is going to punish somebody who maybe they just, maybe they just, they misled their whole life and they missed out on Jesus and he's going to punish them as hard as somebody who say was an abortion doctor. I just don't think. I think hell's going to be worse for that abortion doctor. I just think hell's going to be worse for those who just absolutely are wicked and, and, and thrive on the on the on the hurt of someone else. I really do. I, and you say, where you get that? I just, I, I just, I, I, I know God's just. That's how I get. That's where I get that. God's a just God. Um, when we understand that God that God has a level of concern for the poor and God wants the poor protected then wisdom will lead us to not be a, a jerk to those who are down and out. Wisdom will lead us to try to do something for somebody if we can, if we're able to. Because, again, the poor can't defend themselves. They, they, don't, have, they don't have the ability to hire lawyers and, and defend themselves, and, and they don't have influence. You know, and, and, the, and the way that the rich treat the poor says a lot about their character. It, it, shows, it shows how they how they treat those who the culture and and the rest of the community say that are beneath them. Again, and, and that reveals somebody's heart. That reveals the kind of person that, a, that somebody is. You know, to have concern for the poor is, and to want to help somebody who's down and out to get up to where they can, where they can do better for themselves. You know, that that's that's biblical. You know, I mean, we're not in this life just to try to look out for number one and take care of us and just do for us. We're supposed to help other people along. We're supposed to love and care for other people along the way. You know, even the pagan people of, of the world do that. If God's people don't do it, God help us. You know, but from the Hebrew point of view, God is the protector of the poor. 
He's the protector of the oppressed. Adam Clark says, Woe therefore to them that oppress them, for they will have God, not the poor, to deal with. You know, again, maybe that homeless man can't do nothing to you, but he got somebody bigger than him who's watching out for him. All right, verse 24 and 25. This is the warning against the angry man. The angry man. I don't like people like that. Just going to be honest with you. I like people that are more laid back. I like people that are easygoing. I like people that are friendly. I'm not... I'm not into short-tempered people that have got bad attitudes. I just I got better things to do than that. We don't generally jive very well. Somebody like that, because 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 I I'm a, I can be sweet all day long until somebody really gets <laughs> gets me going, and then well then I, you better pray for me. Uh, <clears throat> but the Bible says don't make don't make friendship with an angry man. Don't make no friendship with an angry man. A person who 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 often can't control their temper, who can't control their anger, what are they showing? They're showing the fact that they have some really bad character. They just can't control themselves. If you make me mad, I'll lose it. You know, I know a lot, I know several people in my life like that, you know, and, and they post stuff on Facebook of them. Rah! You ever see that? You ever see that thing on Facebook where somebody's is a cartoon image of them, and they're going like this, and they got the flames of hell up behind them, they're so angry? Have you ever seen that one? Oh, I have. I hadn't posted it, but there have been other people that I know that have. But that, again, what are they saying? I can't control my anger. I'm enraging with anger. And uh got to keep that to yourself, I think. I think it'd be wise to keep that to yourself. But but again, it's, it's showing that you have terrible character and that you might be a dangerous person to hang around with if you act like that, if you can't control yourself, you know. <clears throat> The Bible says, "Make no, don't make friends with them." You say, "Well, you got to be nice to people." Yeah, there's people that be nice to, and there's people to stay away from. Amen. You ain't got to be nice and buddy up with everybody. There's people in this world that'll be bad for you to be around, and an angry man is one of them. See, wisdom tells you to choose your friends carefully. Wisdom, wisdom says, don't make no friends with an angry man. You know, anger is short-term insanity. When you go to where you're, ah, just, ah, you lost your mind for a minute. You, you ever seen anybody punch a hole through a wall? Have you? I've done it. I'm not bragging on it. I was young when I did that. I ain't done it in a long time. And it's always wise to know where the two-by-four is, too. <laughs> it's always wise to know where the stud's at if you're going to do that. You better, hey, you better, you better measure, you better measure over between 16 inches when you rear back, because you hit that stud, it'll be over with for your knuckles. But, but no, when somebody loses their cool, I mean, yeah, they kick something, end up hurting yourself, you know, uh, or, or they, or, or do just do something really stupid. Uh, when somebody loses their cool, they just go nuts. It's kind of like when you know, when somebody has something, a bad infection or something. And you take them to the doctor, and it's red, and it's painful, and it's swollen. They say, boy, that looks angry. That's a picture of anger. Red, swollen, and painful. That's the way a person feels inside when they're angry. They just swole up and all hot and mad. And, and uh, <clears throat> what does anger do for you? It makes you where you ain't fit to be around people. That's what it does for you. Because nobody wants to be around and be close to somebody who's angry. Why? Because they're unpredictable. You don't know what they're liable to do. They're liable to just go off. <clears throat> I think about this verse over in Ephesians, Ephesians 4, 31. It says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Now, let me. I just said that real fast, but let's back up. What is he telling us? He's telling us to, all these things are to be put away from us, but it's kind of like an escalation on it. You got bitterness. Bitterness. That's just that. That's just that. That, that feeling of resentment and feeling of, of of hostility down inside your soul that that that's kind of sits there and festers. Just kind of every time you think about it, it makes a sore spot in your heart. You just. Oh, I just don't like them, or I just don't like that, or I just can't stand this or that. And it's always there, and it's a sore spot, and it makes you miserable, bitterness. And then, 
And then it says, and wrath, pictured as anger, but if you can picture a pot on the stove, and every now and then it boils up and foams over the side, then it goes back down. That's wrath. It's not permanent. It's just it's just every now and then things just rah, get out of control on you. And then he said in anger, of course, we know that what that is, and it's just when you lose your, you kind of lose your marbles there for a minute. And then it says in clamor. Well, clamor, that's when you start hollering and screaming and cussing at people. You lose your mind, and what's, what's, what's boiling up in your heart starts coming out of your mouth. And evil speaking. Okay? So you've went from feeling bad to, to, to having flashes of anger to having constant anger to now having screaming and hollering coming out of your mouth and evil speaking and saying, I'm going to do this and I'm going to you dirty, rotten, blanket, blanket, blanket. And then it says, it, with all malice, it's when you say, I'm going to put my hands on you. You go to grabbing and a hitting and a carrying on. That's exactly what God's saying. All that stuff needs to be put away from us. But that and and, and but that's what an angry man has. And, and and if you're around that, if you spend time around that, that's dangerous. Because God says right there, lest thou learn his ways. What do we learn? Lest means it means for fear that. For fear that thou learn his ways. Don't go around an angry man. Don't make a friend with an angry man because he'll turn you into an angry man. <clears throat> one of the reasons, one of the most, one of the most important reasons why it's foolish to make to make a friendship with an angry man because again he'll ruin you. His habits will influence your habits, and your view of life and and the world around you will change. Everything will change because. You're, you're listening to this angry man. You're starting to view the world from his viewpoint. I, I'll never forget. Years ago, I watched I watched a video in, in Little Rock, Arkansas. I was in I was in training for insurance. I was going to sell insurance. <coughs> and the regional director for the company he says, "I got a movie I want y'all to see." He said, "I watched this when I was when I was first getting into sales. It's helped me so much." And he played a video from the 60s by a man named Earl Nightingale, and the video was called The Strangest Secret in the World. It's still out there. You can watch it on YouTube. And basically what he's talking about is that is that men get up, they grow up, they go to school with boys just like themselves, they have similar interests. When they get up, they, they don't know what, I mean, they get grown, they don't know what they're going to do, so they all just look around and see what each other's doing, and they all follow each other basically. And they all end up doing similar things that their dad did or their neighbors do just because they become like what they're around most. You, what, and a simple statement was the strangest secret in the world is we, what, what we are around most we become. So it just stands to reason that if you're around an angry person most, you're going to view the world through angry eyes. If you're going to, you're going to see the world the way that angry person sees the world, and what it, and what happens there? It becomes a snare for your soul, because why? Because instead of having hope and optimism and and and, and believing in what God's able to do, suddenly everything's cynical and, and 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 you're angry about everything, and you just want to just destroy things rather than do anything to fix anything. And and we're influenced we're we're influenced by the habits of our friends. You go around somebody who's who's always who's always drinking. What are they gonna always be trying to do? I'm trying to offer you one too. And and pretty soon you you drink you sip on it just to make them happy. Pretty soon and then pretty soon you give me another and give me another. And pretty soon you're drinking with them. You spend time with somebody who who's got a particular bad uh, bad defect in their character. You begin. You know I I know now why my grandparents. Was all, my grandpa was always fussing, saying, "You better watch yourself hanging out with so and so." He was always telling me that. He said, "You don't need. You better. You better quit spending so much time with so and so." Why? Because he saw defects in that person's character, and he knew I was an impressionable kid. And if I stayed around it long enough, I'd pick up on it. I was that way. Listen, I went when I was a little kid. My daddy carried me to see Rocky, and I wanted to come out there and fight everybody. You know, I, we, he took me to see Urban Cowboy. I wanted to ride mechanical bulls. You know, I mean, it's just. I was that way. I wanted to put a cape on, fly like Superman when I seen that movie. So again, when I got around kids, 
I got around kids when I was early on in life, and now I want to play in a rock band. Well, what do you think I wanted to do? I want to jump right in there with them, and I followed that stupid dream for years. You know, again, I, I have I have got in with the wrong crowd, and they've done they led me in the wrong directions because I spent time with the wrong people. And I, I and I can testify to this to this passage because I've lived it and I know. And if you've been there, you know too. But you got to be careful who you spend time with. Galatians six seven says, "Be not deceived; God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap." And if you spend your time sowing uh, sowing bad behavior with your friends, when you're away from your friends, you'll be sowing that bad behavior them too. But we pick up we pick up habits from those we spend time with, and we learn their ways, and we soak up their spirit, we copy their attitudes, and we walk in their steps. So we can't ever be too picky when it comes to people who influence you because you copy their ways and it can become a snare to you. All right, so verse 26 and 27 teach us to stay away from the debts of other people. All right, it says, Be not thou one of them that strike hands or of them that are sureties for debts. If thou hast nothing to pay, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? All right, be not one of those them, them that strike hands or of them that are sureties for debts. We've covered this idea a number of times, so I'm not going to just beat it to death. But, but we again, we've talked about it in other Proverbs. It's a dangerous thing to become responsible for the debts of other people. Amen. It can get you in trouble. It, uh, and, I, and, again, I, I, I'm not, I feel bad when I say this because she's helped me before. I, you, know, you know, mom's helped me at times when I needed some help to get a, to, to get a loan. And so I feel bad standing up there preaching this. But, you know, we paid it off. We get, everything gets paid off. So, I mean, it ain't like, it ain't like I'm going to make her broke over here. Hopefully, hopefully I'm not. But, uh, but anyway, what it's teaching us is you better be careful. You know, I mean, it's one thing if you help somebody and you know they're going to pay it. But it's another thing if you help somebody and they don't pay it. And and they put you in a situation where you're in financial trouble. I mean, God God's word tells us that debt is to be avoided to begin with. God ain't for us being in debt. And I know we live in a world that's ruled by debt. But that's not God's way of doing things. Proverbs 22, 7 in this, own, in this passage it says the rich ruleth over the poor. How does he do that? The borrower is subject to the lender. That's how. It's all about the debt system. So God, God is, God is. If he's if he's against personal debt, he's certainly against us going into debt for somebody else. And he says, for why? And here's the reason. He said, why should he take away thy bed from under thee? And here's here's what he's teaching in that culture, in that in that time, the laws and the customs regarding failure to pay your debt, uh, somebody could just come in and take your property. And I, I guess that's right in certain situations in America, too. But but they could come take your property for repayment of debts. So if if all you had, you've covered somebody's debts, and all you had was a bed you was laying on, well, they'd come take your bed. You wouldn't have a bed. Or they'd come take your coat. Or they'd come take your head covering or whatever you had. And so... They, and you'd be doing without. So Alan Ross said, the risk is that if someone lacks the means to pay, his creditors may take his bed or his last possession. Uh, literally, that's where our expression is a shirt off his back or, or, the, or everything but the kitchen sink. That's where we get these ideas of them just coming in taking everything. And, uh, and so God is not for us putting ourselves in a situation where we're going to lose everything we've got. Uh, you know, it's one thing to, to help somebody, but it's another thing to get yourself where you're going to be absolutely ruined. And God wants us to have more wisdom than that. All right, verse 28. got to hurry. This is one that might take a minute. We're to respect ancient ways and wisdom. So what are you talking about? Verse 28. It says, remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. I've got a message I preached on this years ago called Which Way Do We Go? I preached it back in Arkansas. I think it was in 1999. Yeah. Yeah, 1999 when I preached that that message that first time at Trinity Baptist. But uh, remove not the ancient landmark. I want to look at it from what 
I want to look at it first of all from what it means literally, and then we'll take it from a spiritual point of view too. So from the days when Joshua divided the promised land up for the people of Israel, they set up landmarks showing the boundaries for the property. And, you know, this was a big deal. I mean, it was a, a, a major crime if somebody removed the landmarks that they set up for the, for the tribes or they moved them. And uh, these landmarks, again, was private land boundaries, and they were marked out by stone pillars or maybe a stack of stones to represent a pillar. And these things were, were erected to mark between property to denote legal ownership. So what are they? What they're saying is, don't don't take advantage. Don't go over there if your if your land's right next to your neighbor's land. Don't run out there and plow right up next to the property line. And so you're having to work over on his land, taking care of your land. Pretty soon, you're, that becomes your land too. Oh, I just I didn't mean to get over there on your land. I, that's where my last row was. And pretty soon you're over there. Next year maybe you cut another row. That's kind of what people were doing, and that's 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 the idea of this, um, you know. <clears throat> you know, we're not to take what's 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 not ours, no matter what. I mean, not even if we think it's a good idea or it's for if for you know nobody's going to get hurt and it won't bother anybody. It's not right to do it. It's never it's never it's never right to do wrong, regardless of what you think about it. Um, Again, Alan Rossi said the boundaries were sacred because God owned the land and had given it to the fathers as their inheritance to extend one's land at another's expense was a major violation of both covenant and oath. It says remove not. That's a command from God. Remove not or what? Well, or you'll get a curse. That's what. Deuteronomy 27:17 says curse be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. So if you do that, God said he'll curse you. There'll be a curse on you. Of course, this is in Israel. I understand that, but I still, God's not for it today. God's not for people cheating the people out doing that today. And uh, he said, which thy fathers have set. So I want us to look at this in a, in a spiritual connotation, too, because I, I believe we can see it that way. You know, a, a landmark, or, or a custom, or a tradition, or values, we shouldn't just throw those things away. We shouldn't get rid of those things. Uh, you know, I believe in I believe in doing things in church the way I, I grew up, shown how to do things, how to how to lead the service, how to run a service. I, I believe in doing things a certain way. I don't believe y'all to come in and make it look like a TV show. I believe y'all do things decently and in order, as the Bible says. Uh, you know, I believe in I believe in the old pulpit and the Lord's Supper table. I don't want a loose that little lectern up here on an open stage. I believe in doing things the way I was taught to do things. But I'm going to tell you more than that. I come back to this old King James Bible. Amen. There's plenty of, of different versions of the Bible out there. There's one for everybody, I guess. If you, if it's probably one got that you can color in. I'm sure there is. I, I've seen in the last year. I have seen uh, I've seen a Bible that was written in pirate language, where you talk like "our Mickey's" and all this. I mean, the whole the whole Bible interpreted into pirate language. And then I heard I saw one uh, uh, translated into Viking speak. Um, and, and these things are done by AI computers. It's not anything to do inspired or anything. It's just. Let's run this into a computer and change the language into into this goofy idea, you know. And and these people defend this like it's like it's something great and grand. And and I you know I see it online and I just I just tell them what I think about it, you know. And and that they're that they're fools for messing with God's word, and they're going to have God's curse on them for monkeying with His word. People don't respect the word of God anymore. People ain't got no respect for this old black book. Not like they used to. Not like they should. But God says these, these landmarks, I, you know, and in that message, there's one thing I, I talked about. Uh, you know, you can, you, can, you, can, uh, you can be from a place and grow up there and live your whole life there and know that place like the back of your hand. And an F5 tornado come through there, you can't find your house or where your house used to be. You can't even tell what streets you're on. Because when all the landmarks are gone, you lose direction. You don't know where you're going. 
You know, that's the way it is in modern churches today. They've removed all the landmarks. And so people don't know what they're doing. They don't, they have them, don't even know why they're there. I tell you right now, you walk in, you walk into to Lakewood Church in Houston, Texas, where Joel Osteen is the pastor, you won't find church. You'll find a production. You'll find a speaker. You'll hear music. You'll hear good thoughts, but you won't go to church because that ain't church. I mean, listen, the Bible ain't there. Joel Osteen's there in place of the Bible. But but the, the Word of God's not there, and the truth of God's not there. Uh, they've removed the landmarks. That's what happened to make it palatable for the common modern consumer. You know, when you take out the, when you take out that old hymn book that we sang out of, listen. When you take that out, you take. Uh, I've talked about it lots of times, but I'll talk about it again tonight. When you take away these songs that give a second witness to the Word of God, you know, we we I do that songbook sermon, and what am I showing? I'm showing that these things are preaching the same message that the Bible's preaching. It's a second amen to the Word of God, and that's why these old songbook hymns are important. But yet, when you take those seven eleven songs, where it's seven words eleven times. Let's all stand and sway and sing these songs over and over. What are you doing? You're repeating a mantra just like the voodoo folks over in India do. They'll just chant a mantra over and over and over and over until they get into a frenzy state. And that's what these people are trying to do. It's a copycat of all that stuff. And what happens? They get into a lose-their-mind situation. Same thing happens in them, in that stuff over there in India. It's, it's amazing what happens when you take away your landmarks. People don't, they just wander off into anything. Again, you know, they, 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 they so much time to go into it tonight. But they brought in, they brought in so much pagan witchcraft and, 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 and pagan ideas and practice and ideology into, these, into the modern church because they have removed the landmarks that, that God set up. Amen. And we shouldn't defend tradition just for the sake of tradition. If it ain't no good and if it's hindering us, get rid of it. But if it's something that reinforces what God has taught us, we ought to hang on to it tooth and nail and fight for it. Not just destroy tradition because it's a it's a modern day and we need to get rid of that. No, I don't think we need to get rid of everything just because we're living in a modern day. <clears throat> well, this movement of the boundary, you know, it was it was a it was a crime that was easy to accomplish. But it was difficult to prove. You know, you imagine if, if once a year this guy goes out there and takes his donkey and backs up and gets that stone and bumps it maybe an inch. He kicks a little dirt up against it and goes on about his business. Next year he comes by there and bumps it again with his donkey and moves it just a little inch. He does that every year for about 20 years. Pretty soon he's unmoved the line. He's, he owns more property than he used to, and it ain't just right there. It's all the way down, so he's done gained quite a bit. And so if you do that little by little, so inconspicuously, in time it could end up some, add up to something really sizable. And that's how the devil works, friends. The devil hasn't. The devil didn't take the the, the, the Lord's church that used to be full of full of full of fire and, and God's glory. He didn't take that and just turn the power off. And everybody said, oh, well, I guess we'll go home. No, what happened was, little by little, they just moved the line a little bit. Just a little bit. Year after year, step by step. They give away this and move that and got rid of that. And today, what do we have? You look around in America, where you can find God's church. Everything's been moved. It's been looted. Little pockets like we got right here, few, bar, few and far between, even even in a rural town like we're in. I know there are other good churches in this town. I'm not trying to say we're the only one. But I'm saying they're fewer and further between than they ever were, than they ever have been. Because, again, the devil's moving the boundaries. And lastly, verse 29, we see the reward of excellent work. In verse 29, it says, Seest thou man diligent in his business? He shall stand before kings. He shall not stand before mean men. 
Seest thou a man diligent in his business? That's a man who's striving for excellence. That's a guy who's trying to get up every day and do it better than he did it yesterday. He's trying to fix what he did wrong. He analyzes himself. He's not he's not competing with the next guy down the road. He's competing with the guy in the mirror, trying to better himself, trying to be what God wants him to be, trying to do things uh, more excellent than he's done it before. You know, everybody a work to do. And we ought to do that work with excellence. Whatever it is, we ought to strive to be the very best that we can be, and we ought to do it like we're doing it for God himself, and he's the one we got to answer to and check up with, and we're not doing it like we're doing it for men. That's what the Bible tells us. We're not to worry about what men think about our work and what we do. We're to do it as if God is the only one we're working for. Amen. I, I've told several employers that. I said, I don't work for you. Really, I'm really working for God. I'm just showing up here to work, to work for you. Well, I don't work for you. I work for God. And and so I, and that's what I'm trying to please. Um, but, you know, Colossians 3.23, it says, And whatsoever you do, do it heartily with all your heart, as to the Lord and not unto men. So, that, I mean, that's Bible. God wants us to, to, to whatever we're doing, it's, it ought to be for him. And, again, like I said, that a man diligent, and he's always trying to, to, to make the most of his opportunities, which made me think of Ephesians 5.16, which tells us redeeming the time because the days are evil. And that's something we ought to be considering every day of our life. The, the world we live in, it, it, it's not getting more conducive to freedom and liberty. It's not getting more conducive to uh, to being able to be a believer, it's getting more conducive to being to people living wicked and 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 basically putting clamps on what we're trying to do for God. That's that's what the devil's trying to do. The devil's ultimate goal is to shut everybody up who's speaking out for the Lord. And so we need to realize that the time is short before the Lord's return, and we need to make the very most of the time because we understand the hour. And so that man who's diligent understands that. He understands, hey, he understands that, and he also understands the calendar, that he's only got so many good years and so much good time in order to accomplish things that God wants him to do, and he knows that if he doesn't do it now, he may not get the opportunity later. So he better seize the day and take advantage of the opportunities God's given him. That man, the Bible says, shall stand before kings. In other words, the person's the quality and excellence of that person's work. If if you put them, if, 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 if their reputation, people say, hey, if you want somebody to do whatever that is they do, that's the one to call on. That's the person because they are they are good and excellent at what they do. That's the kind of person we're talking about. Why? Because they have a powerful reputation before the world. Everybody knows that that's a person of high moral character and and, and excellent work. And, again, they're the person you want to go to because they're the one who's going to give you the most for your dollar. And, again, that, that again that gives them great standing before kings. You know, you think about old, old Daniel. He was in captivity. But the king valued him very much because, you know what, whenever he needed something, Daniel was right there. Daniel took care of it. He, 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 he was willing to do whatever. He needed to do for the king to help him, even though he was in a strange land. He was that kind of a man, so he could be counted on. <coughs> and, you know, again, being a, a person of high character, you know, again, that, that also gives you standing before the king of kings. Why? Because God promises to bless the one who's diligent in their, in, in, in their work for him. God will bless the one who's diligent. Again, that verse I quoted, verse 23 in Colossians 3, whatsoever that ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. The next verse says, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Again, we're not here to serve other men. We're here to serve the Lord. How do we do that? By loving other people. And again, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God, with all thy heart, all thy mind, soul, and strength. And the second is life unto it, which means it's identical. You can't tell them apart. They're the same. 
love thy neighbor as thyself. So when we're serving men and we're doing it for the Lord, we're doing it for the Lord. It's not really for the men. It's for the Lord. So when you love somebody who's poor and down and out and can't help themselves, you're not doing that because you're thinking that guy's going to ever do anything back to you. You're doing that because you love the Lord. Amen? And God sees that, and God blesses you, and God will bless the person who's diligent in doing right. Amen. God taught that the one who is trustworthy in small matters in this world will be entrusted in his coming kingdom with something greater. Luke 19, I'm going to close with this. Luke 19, 11 and following. And it says, and, he, and as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable because he was nigh to Jerusalem and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. So again, they thought he's fixing to just the second coming is about to happen right now. All this is going to happen. He's going to establish his kingdom right now. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a country, a kingdom, and to return. So he's saying, I'm going away and I'm coming back. And he called his ten servants and delivered them ten pounds or a certain amount of, of, of currency. And he said unto them, Occupy till I come. Again, that's what we're to be doing right here, right now. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And that's what a lot of people do. They don't want to serve the Lord. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given the money that he might know how much every man had gained by trading. Then came the first, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well, thou, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. I feared thee. Because thou art an austere man, which means a hard, mean fellow. And thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. He didn't know God. He had an idea of God that wasn't right. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest thou not my money unto the bank, that my coming I might have required mine own with usury. In other words, why didn't you put it in there so it could have gained a little interest? And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath been given, and from, and from him to, that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that which he hath shall be taken away from him. But, but but those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and, I, and slay them before me. So God is, God is very much invested in us taking what he has given us and doing something with it. God is not for us to sit around and act like, oh, well, I'll just wait on him. I get by, he comes, I'll say, well, you saved me. Not just waiting on you. Now, that's not a verse saying you lose your salvation. That verses are not saying that. But I can tell you what it is saying. God is saying, you need, if you're mine, you've been given something, you need to do something with it. If, if you're his, if he lives in you, there's no excuse for us to live like the rest of the world. There's no reason for us to for, for us to view the world as, as as just a horrible, cynical place where we can't do any good. No, God God's God's given us His Spirit. He's promised us, made promises to us that will not change, and we need to put them into effect. John twelve twenty six, and I'm done. If any man serve me, let him follow me. That means do what I do. That means watch me, like 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 the man watches his angry friend and becomes angry. We, we walk with Jesus, and we follow him, and we watch him, and we become generous, and we become compassionate, and we become loving. That's what we want. We want to walk with him and become like him. He said, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. And if any man serve me, 
him will my father honor. So the best thing we can do is be humble and, and let God let God take us and use us. Let God, uh, the Holy Spirit of God, guide us in our hearts and how to love and be kind to others and treat others like like God would treat them. Amen. Let's stand together. All right.